Hey everybody, Rob North here from the Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades podcast. Just saying that if you like what we do and you'd like to support us financially and get access to exclusive content, you can go to patreon.com slash trrpod. As always, hold fast and on with the show. So a New Yorker reporter got laid off because he showed his dick on Zoom. I mean, who hasn't done that working from home yet? Uh, well, I mean, we, I've, I'm sure we've all had close calls, but was I he? Think... What was he wearing? Was it like? Please tell me it was a I had tie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now we got we got waste nothing. But I, don't, like, I don't know if he was like full on Donald ducking it or little Winnie the, the Pooh action or little Winnie, yeah, little Winnie the Pooh action. I mean, seven months ago, I like shaved and combed my hair and like put on a dress shirt, and now I'm just in like a bad bathrobe. It's um, I, I like because I've had I've had to do a lot on Zoom over the last seven eight months, and never once have I. I mean, I've I've had a couple close calls with like things I definitely didn't do, wish I didn't do on camera, like you know pick my nose or scratch my ears or, or belching or something but like it I've, I've never like accidentally showed him the hog you know and well Luckily, and the answer I, your I question. like i haven't had that much experience with zoom because it's very difficult to be a zoom bartender but uh like my you do it well oh, you though. try you did the, the facebook bartender thing it, quite yeah well. but the only thing uh also well, happens that it happens to be nice that you were already standing up but it did also net me Bartender of the Year. Yes. Exactly. Yes. That Actually, yeah, I don't yeah, think we announced that in the last We didn't talk about episode. that one. Yeah. This will be like da, da, a, da, da, like da, a da, month da, after. Da, 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 but uh, the only thing I really remember from Zoom calls is just Padre falling asleep at like 3 in the morning whenever we were just doing Zoom well, it was, Zoom after party. It was 3 in the morning and <laughs> right. I had a fifth of bourbon. <laughs> right. No, I get it. Man asleep during Zoom call, 2020. We Oil see, on campus. And to answer your question, Kyle, I've never swung dick on a work call. I try to make sure that I do that on other people's work calls. calls. Right. <laughs> just, just troll in the back of the room. He's a goddamn professional. Welcome back to part two of Life Lessons with Uncle Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome back exactly. to Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades, everybody. I'm Rob North. I am your co-host, Chris Miller. I am Michael Ernett. I am Kyle Graper. And we are once again joined by... James Ernett. Mr. James Ernett, brother of Michael Ernett. With us for part one of our series on Dan Sickles. He's back again, everybody. Good to see you guys. Welcome back, Jim. And he's back because... <laughs> a smattering of applause. It's like golf. And he's back, <laughs> and he's back because it is part two. Didn't scare me off, guys. Part two of our series on Dan Sickles. The thrilling right. conclusion. The thrilling conclusion. By this point, uh, he's already uh, plus one murder. He's going to be minus one leg at some point. <laughs> Previously on Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. <laughs> dum, dum, buck, so this is the part where he uh, gets tried for murder, goes to jail, and spends the rest of his life in prison. Yeah, it's going to be a short yeah, cool. episode. Yeah, awesome. yeah. yeah, five minutes. I but, love the um, justice system. Thanks so much, everybody. Hold fast. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, when we uh, when we last left uh, Dan Sickles, famed lawyer, politician, uh, fuck machine, and uh, he now accused murderer, he had just in Lafayette Park, right outside the White House, had shot and killed his wife's lover. Yeah, if, if you're not. Yeah. If, if nobody really knows like where Lafayette Square is, like if you were in the White House, you could have seen him shoot Key. Like it's, it, I'm not seen. It was literally less than 200 feet. Yeah, from you're the just front looking. Yeah, you're just you, looking you, out the window and quite, like, oh this, shit! You could have quite easily got a whiff of the gunpowder. And, and, and think, of, think of this too. This is 1859. 
This is prior to the existence of the Secret Service. Yep. And it was typical for presidents to personally come to the door of the White House to greet their guests. <laughs> President Nixon, would you close your bathrobe, please? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, just Nixon. He's just, out just getting just the paper. Zoom, dick. <laughs> Kissinger's got a bottle of lube 15 feet behind him. <laughs> oh, so anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's the copyright violation. Hey, so the hero of our story, he just shot a man in the dick until he died. Yeah, he did, that. He did do that. <laughs> It's not an exaggeration. Right. If you haven't listened to part one, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, go back and listen to part one first. Come on, it's how it works. It's a couple yeah. good jokes. We make an Italian accent at one point. And the best part of this is normally one would consider that a career killer. Yeah. And you would be correct if your name isn't Daniel, Daniel Edgar Sickles. Sickles. <laughs> before we proceed with the story, before we pick up where we left off, uh, once again, I'd like to, I, I think it's uh, a good idea to go over our sources. We always want to do give due honor to the sources we use. Uh, we have American Scoundrel, The Life of Notorious Civil War General Dan Sickles by Thomas Keneally. We have uh, Star Spangled Scandal, Sex, Murder, and the Trial that Changed America by Chris Rose. We have uh, Sickles at Gettysburg by James A. Hessler. We have The Congressman Who Got Away with Murder by Nat Brandt. The Life and Death of Fanny White by Lynn Belluccio. That's mostly in the last episode. But uh, we have a, a great article from the New York Times, uh, the March 1st, 1992 edition of the New York Times called Sex, Politics, and Murder on the Potomac by Sam Roberts and a book for back from, uh, from back in the 40s. It's a little dated, but it actually has some good stuff in it called The Yankee King of Spain by Edgecombe Pynchon, which is, uh, uh, again, uh, I believe named by his father stubbing his toe on a coffee table. <laughs> I got to guess that he just went by Ed. Oh, I hope, for his sake. It's better than going by cum. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about that hard P following that. <laughs> My name is Cum Pension. <laughs> no, no, uh-uh. no. We'll <laughs> you mean like Cum Posey, the ball player? It, well, or it, Dick Trickle, the NASCAR driver? <laughs> or Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Oh, God. Kennesaw I'd rather Mountain be Landis. Kennesaw Mountain Landis than Cum, cum Posey. Posey. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm with you. How'd you get your name? Don't ask. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's pick up the story of Mr. Daniel Edgar Sickles having okay. just been arrested for moita. Exactly. He surrendered to the Attorney General. He, he went to the Attorney General's house. Well, they were friends. <laughs> I know they were friends, but that, that they were like, oh, he goes into his front room and he's like, okay, I just you know, killed. I got to do this right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just killed a dude. Uh, can you kind of keep me here until uh, <laughs> just cool in his heels yeah. till the heat's off? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Listen, Tom, bad news. <laughs> so anyway, mama. Yeah, he had just <laughs> killed uh, Philip Barton Key, his wife's lover. Because how dare she have an affair with somebody else, even though he had just been humping his way through New York and D.C. and London for and I gotta think quite that he, some time. When he ran into when when he saw Key, I bet you he had been with a consort the night before. There's a very good possibility. Yeah, he hadn't had the chance to jump in the Potomac and wash himself off. Yet, right. Yeah. Like it, it's yeah. So anyway, this becomes big news, huge news. According to the New York Herald, quote, the tragic affair produced a great sensation in the streets, the law courts, public houses, private dwellings, and in fact, everywhere, it was a prominent conversation. Now, toward his remorse, Dan Sickles only said, 
he had dishonored me, and we could not live on the same planet <laughs> together. <laughs> need, There's a lot of put, finality in that, but uh, like I get it. Can we retcon that with some of that like uh, PBS documentary like easy fiddle music yeah. like <laughs> underneath <laughs> all that? Just, <laughs> Daniel Sickles, 1859. Yeah. Now, on a, on a side note, Jerry Falwell Jr., if you are listening, ha! He's got free time. This is the proper way to defend yourself from unwanted cockledry. Shooting a pistol, not a video camera. It was not unwanted. Yeah, we are making a gigantic assumption that it was unwanted. Mm. That's true. That's true. Okay, so the case goes to trial. If you've ever watched... Somebody was a cock, a tiny little happy little cock. (laughs) (laughs) It was... So here's what I love, though. So he shows up at the attorney general's house. But it, it, was his, it was his friend's house. There's, it was his like, friend's there's house. There's a method to that madness. I just think it's funny. because you cause, Could you imagine someone doing that now? Boom, boom, boom. Bill! Hey, Bill! Boom, boom, boom. Bill! <laughs> I'm in trouble! <laughs> that we're watching this play out in real time. Something what went fuck down! What are you talking about? <laughs> But it's so he I may have committed some light treason. It's totally out of Anchorman, man. <laughs> yes, I've been meaning to talk to you about that, Brick. You might want to lay low for a while, find yeah. a safe house, because you might be wanted for, for murder. murder. But he, So he confesses to the killing. But the I killed a man with a trident. But the attorney general summons two D.C. constables to his home, and then who then escort Sickles back to his house to collect some belongings, including, wait for it, He's- Teresa's wedding ring. Oh God! <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> good luck without that. Like, and and so he picks it. Yeah, a bunch of belongings, a bunch of documents, and his wife's wedding ring, and his fucking gun, and his gun. <laughs> He's allowed to keep his gun in prison. Yeah. The one he just killed a man with. Well, you know, yeah. he, he might get shanked. <laughs> Somebody might show up with a set of binoculars. You don't know. <laughs> the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm not looking forward to smuggling in these opera glasses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so, he was allowed to receive as many visitors as he wanted. <laughs> any of them Fanny White? Uh, well, she was uh, she was still up in New York by this point. She It's at least a solid train ride away. Well, the jailer gave him his apartment to use. Yeah. 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 Rank does has his privileges, I guess. <laughs> Once again, this thank is... God the times have changed. Oh, so <laughs> barbarous and in, inhuman. This is how bulletproof this guy is. So the case goes to trial, and if you've ever watched South Park, the hero of our story hires Johnny Cochran to provide the Chewbacca defense. Man, we are just on top of the pop culture current references on this series. Tip of the spear. And our future Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, a rising star among D.C. lawyers who intends to use the plea of temporary insanity. Now, there was this, some discussion among us about this plea during research for the episode. Mm-hmm. It is true that insanity had long been used as a defense tactic up to this point, though never successfully. Yeah. It is also true that the insanity claimed in this defense had never been considered to be temporary. This was new legal ground. It was Yeah, it, it, it had been tried, but it was absolutely considered to be a Twinkie defense. Right. It, it, and it was never temporary. Once yeah. you were insane, you were... Mm-hmm. You were yeah, shipped now, off to an asylum. That's an insanity plea. We're talking right. about something wildly different. Right. Temporary. That's temporary. Yeah, temporary. Crime of passion, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the old Andy Dufresne maneuver. Mm-hmm. So, Stanton, being a good litigator, the first thing he does is he portrays Sickles as the, quote, true victim, leaving Teresa Sickles' reputation soundly in the dust. Well, 
Stan told the court that the affair had put her on a road toward, <clears throat> quote, the horrid filth that is common prostitution. There was applause. The wow. Stop <laughs> quoting the tagline for my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> there was applause the moment that Stanton, deferred, or Stanton referred to Dan's motives as honorable. He then successfully turned the victim into the aggressor, suggesting that the death of Key was a cheap sacrifice to save one mother from the horrible fate. Jesus. <laughs> This guy just got shot three times in the dick. I had to kill him. He threw his opera glasses at me. <laughs> exactly. Go back and listen to the last episode. He Look actually out! did. He's coming right for us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he didn't even throw the opera glass. He pulled them out and he just shot him in the dick. Legal defense by Jimbo and Ned. Right. <laughs> now, all of this, made for great theater, was in the papers for days on end. And as a result, and certainly not because the President of the United States came to the court to shake Sickles' hand pre-trial. The I'd judge shot the bastard, too. <laughs> the, the judge told the jury... Listen, to, you aim for the dick, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes, Mr. President, I did. Squarely. The judge told the jury to consider his state of mind at the time of the murder. Oh, God. The jury took less than one hour to render a not guilty verdict. Okay, this is what's insane about it because... Okay, so a little bit of background here that it's... well. Okay, so also the defense... If you go back and listen to the the first episode, when, when Sickles discovers the affair, the first thing he does is force his wife to make a written confession of the entire... Thing. Stanton leaked it to all the DC papers and then to all the New York papers. This went nationwide. This woman's shame was put on display. I mean, this poor woman who was engaging in a little bit of what her husband had been doing <laughs> nonstop just got railroaded. It, I mean, it, that's I feel so bad for Teresa in this. So he put that woman on blast. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, you got to figure this is this is long before women had the right to vote. Uh, this own is, property. Yeah, they weren't allowed to own property. This is in a time whenever Catherine the Great <laughs> just really liked to fuck. And we're still making horse jokes about her. This, like, is, a, this is a century like, after. Yeah. yeah, she did not stand a chance. No, Teresa Sickles did not stand. Nah, a she yeah, chance. she didn't have a shot in hell. So now you have a jury who is surprise all men. Yeah, uh, reading about because women weren't allowed to serve on juries. Yes. So you get you get a, a, jury, a, a jury of all men reading about the wife that was running around on this dude, and then he shot the guy that did it in the dick. Yeah. What part of that would make any of these men say, you know what, I'm not 100% sure about well, this? And, and, and if you look throughout the entire it. transcript of the trials, the, the prosecution never once mentioned any of Sickles' affairs. Nope, yeah. not once. Of course not, not once. But you see, that's the thing. It's like Christopher Titus. Nick Beach deserved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, and like, so his defense is based on, there's no basis for it in American common law, which is based off of English common law. But there's a basis for it in English common law. It's called the Monoton Rule. Um, and and, and the, the, the quote on it is, At the time of committing the act, the party accused was laboring under such a defect of reason from disease of the mind as not to know the nature and quality of the act he was doing or as not to know that 
What he was doing was wrong, end quote. It's a standard established in English common law in 1843, so it takes 16 years to transit the Atlantic. And Daniel Monoton was a Scotsman who apparently believed that the Prime Minister, Robert Peel, was the architect of the myriad of personal and financial misfortunes that had befallen him. During his trial, nine witnesses testified to the fact that Monoton was insane and the jury acquitted him of attempting to shoot Robert Peel, the Prime Minister, to death, finding him not guilty by reason of insanity. First time this... Uh, First time this sort of verdict has been reached in a uh, in a common law court, and now it's in the U.S. and it's not codified in law. But a panel of judges went before the House of Lords and established a sort of industry standard for determining what legally constituted insanity to the point that it overcomes culpability in a crime. And it had been tried, and the temporary insanity defense had been tried before in U.S. court, but it had never succeeded. The easiest way to think about it is that the perp in the moment know the difference between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. If you watch any true crime stuff whatsoever, I'm sure you've heard it over and over again, but that is, in that moment, could they tell the difference? I mean, it's a 22-day trial with an hour of jury deliberation and a unanimous verdict returned the first time. I can't think of another example. And, and this is kind of a 22-day trial that everybody in America is dialed in. Glued to. Yeah, this this is the trial of the century. Glued right. to. This was the first big cause celeb trial of the telegraph age. Mm -hmm. right. So I mean, now people it's... Getting, people were getting information yeah. almost immediately. Yeah, it's going nationwide in sense, almost instantaneously. Yeah, in, the, in the sense of, if you, if you can imagine, well, now we think about the 24-hour yeah. news cycle where you can be watching something in real time. It certainly wasn't like that. Yeah. However, For pretty when much you consider first, that 20 years prior... It would take weeks for information yeah. to get. The War from... of 1812 was over, and the armies were still shooting each other. Yeah. Right, yeah. like that's yeah. how long it took to get information from one point to the other. Mm -hmm. And but now something happens at a trial in D.C. It's in the newspaper in New Orleans the next morning. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So to dovetail to all this, the abysmal part is that public sentiment stayed firmly in Devil Dan's corner until he made the mistake <laughs> of. Here's the patriarchy. Reconciling with Teresa. Yeah. She was considered a fallen woman and therefore not proper enough for a congressman. It's good to know that perceptions of women have changed and that no one slut shames anyone anymore. Yeah. Before Allegedly. We, before we move on. <laughs> Wait, what was Philip Barton Key wearing? Maybe he was begging for it. <laughs> he was asking for a it. A white cloth and some opera glasses. <laughs> asking for it in that, in that kicky cravat. Uh, the fancy lad. The, so, but the I'm sorry, but the defense, the associate defense attorney, defense attorney John Graham, the first line of his opening statement was he stood up on a, on the table and shouted out at the top of his lungs to the jury, "You are here to fix the price of the marriage bed." And then he went on to a two day opening statement. That'd be my fucking luck. I, that's what I would get jury duty for. Yeah. That's, that's why everybody just throws their summons away now. You're just terrified that that's going to happen. Yeah. Everyone just goes, and then You're halfway to lunch, yeah. and you're going, oh, God. Would he just shut Is he still up? going? <laughs> all right. So, anyway, now, I after all this, I and I hate to f do this, but I have to fast forward to through what was and is 1860 and 1861, but we all know what's coming. Lincoln becomes president. The southern states decide that not ending the pox of slavery is the hill upon which to die. Fort Sumter is fired upon, and Lincoln is called on to raise an army. 
Dan Sickles, now in New York, is instrumental in drumming up support as a war Democrat. He recruits thousands of soldiers who become known as, and I have to say it this way, New York's Excelsior Brigade. We miss you, Stan. (laughs) We do. 5,000 men. Yep. 5,000 men. Five regiments. Over the summer of 1861, he travels back to Washington to meet with President Lincoln, his old friend, where he ingratiates himself to a slightly now smitten Mary Todd Lincoln. And on September 1st, 1861, is commissioned a brigadier general in command of Excelsior. In 1862, after training and equipping, the brigade valiantly sees its first action at the Battle of Fair Oaks in the Peninsula Campaign in May. By the way, it's also worth noting that beginning, that first call for volunteers, Lincoln asked for 75,000 men and they got 400,000. Yeah. <laughs> what do we do with all these idiots? Well, if you're you McClellan, throw, you, yeah, you simply throw wave after your wave at their cannons. Well, if you're McClellan, you keep them on the uh, on the National Mall for six months while you're training Dang. them. Mm. That was a big part of the problem and why the war lasted four years and not two. Um, anyway, through several campaigns and countless engagements, Sickles and the Excelsior Brigade established themselves as the elite unit of the Second Division, Third Corps. On the 5th of February, 1863, Sickles is promoted to Major General and given command of the Corps. They fight through the spring, and in May of 1862, he is commanding the Corps under General Fighting Joe Hooker at the Battle of Chancellorsville. If you are familiar with the term Hooker, this is the guy that it comes from. Mm -hmm. This becomes one of the single most... The Battle of Chancellorsville becomes one of the single most important events in Sickles' command. In the course of battle on the 2nd of May, Sickles sees what appears to be a retreating Confederate division and orders the 3rd Corps to pursue. Unfortunately, it happens to be the main body of Stonewall Jackson's Corps, and the result is that the unit finds itself a mile and a half from established Union lines with nightfall coming, coming on. In military parlance, this is referred to as a salient. If you've heard sticking out like a sore thumb, this is the thumb. You're way out ahead of ahead of your lines, and that's never a good place to be. To use somewhat later military parlance, it is foobar. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think we need to. Well, I think you can Look guess. I, I, I think you can guess what the what the acronym stands for. <laughs> By the way, I just heard a faint sound in the background. It's Shelby Foot screaming from beyond the grave. Uh, exactly. Um, in an act of conspicuous grave, uh, conspicuous bravery, Sickles orders the men to begin a retreat in near darkness, taking casualties without reinforcements and not know, really knowing where the Union battle line is. Yeah. He can't even find the other corps. Um, and then there's suddenly a stroke of luck. You just keep moving backwards, hoping you find somebody in yeah. blue. And then they hit a stroke of luck, though, which is has become to uh, define Sickles' life. Um, yeah, I am noticing a pattern. To put it lightly. As the Corps realizes that it's taken the high ground at a spot referred to as Hazel Grove. Sickles holds the position and dispatches messengers to inform General Hooker that he has found a place to make a stand and ask for relief from the nearest units. Now, he's sending these messengers out. They don't know where they're going. Yeah. Somehow, they find Hooker's headquarters and in the meantime 
Um, and in the meantime, Sickle stands his ground, and they do it valiantly. They take a lot of casualties, but they're inflicting a lot of them too. Um, however, unbeknownst to Sickles, Hooker was standing at a post near headquarters when a cannonball struck the post. Days, but not realizing he had suffered a severe concussion, Hooker's continued handing out orders, one of which commanded the third quarter retreat from its position. Sometime near dawn on May 3rd, Jackson's Corps assaults the right flank of Sickles' men, and finally receiving the order to retreat, he lets go of his position and pulls back to the main Union line, which he can now see. In his mind, this stand could have very well ended the war entirely, and the Third Corps had lost thousands of good men holding this position. He never forgot it. It was something that uh, he didn't forgive Hooker for, and he considered Hooker to be incompetent. Now, this is one of the things that we've got to remember is that Sickles is a one of the last of the political generals, mm-hmm. as opposed to a West Pointer. When... In, yeah, he was the only he was the only corps commander who was not West Point educated. Mm-hmm. Yes, at this point, yes. Yeah, it, this it, as we know, you know, from the past, this was not uncommon to put people of political yeah. power. Or, I mean, in, in well, the case I, of I the believe, American Revolution, one guy sold books. Yeah, half the guys were lawyers. <laughs> I, I believe Sickles had a had a rank technically in the New York State Militia prior to the war. He, he did, but it was enti- basically entire, entirely ceremonial. The man had. No practical military. Yeah, that was a political appointment, also. Yeah. Right, exactly. And well, it was considered it, par for the course for a congressman from the state to hold an, an appropriate rank within the state militia. That should still happen. Of That'd just be great. Yeah. <laughs> the oh, Chuck yeah. Schumer Brigade. Oh, oh good lord! <laughs> Come the fighting turtles of Mitch McConnell. <laughs> the Louis Gohmert Brigade of the Texas Louis Gohmert Battalion in the Texas National Guard. The Second California Division under Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> the Fighting Feinsteins. Wow. <laughs> oh, see what we're gonna do is we're gonna take this hill and then we're gonna get a nice blowout. <laughs> Thank you, Senator Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, Brigadier General Cruz. <laughs> so. This was common when it came to political generals. This was very common. Um, in fact, we go back to Spoons Butler. Spoons Butler was moved around for basically the entirety of the war because anywhere he ended up, he pissed off so many people yep. that Lincoln had to put him somewhere else. But the big problem was <laughs> certain air of Gregor McGregor there, I believe. Mm-hmm. If he relieved him, the the problem Lincoln had, though, was that if he relieved him of command or if he demoted him in any way, he would likely have several New England states mm-hmm. to fight as well as the rest of the Confederacy. Yeah. Because that's how much power Benjamin Butler Or at retained. the very least, he's looking at a big reversal in electoral votes in the 1864 election. Exactly. Somebody new might have shot him. We don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't, and everything worked out for Lincoln. What was the man's last name? Kennedy? <laughs> uh, uh, the South should have won the war. Well, according to... Six Sapateranus. Do that again. That was just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, you brought up the great Shelby folk. 
And this memory, according to folk, is what caused Major General Sickles to act the way he did on the 2nd of July, 1863, in a small town in Pennsylvania called Gettysburg. <laughs> and the musket trail was so intense that it put the in- Jubal Early's entire division off of their hot grits breakfast. Thank you, Dr. Foote. <laughs> <laughs> so, at this point, General George Gordon Meade was in command of the Army of the Potomac and had his hands full. And had been in command of the Army of the Potomac for... Five minutes. About three days? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. For everyone at home, because uh, obviously because this is an audio format, uh, open up a history book to a black and white image of the Civil War and then just slowly move your eyes across it and that'll just set the stage for, for the next half an hour. Yeah, right. true. We need that fiddle music back. <laughs> Where's Ken Burns when you need him? So, though Sickles considered Meade inept, but he did it privately. He followed orders, and he left Emmitsburg with three divisions to the site of the main fighting. He was then positioned at the south end of the battlefield. To add a little perspective here, that we're talking about 10,000 men right. under his command at this point. Um, and he had left, what was it, about 7,500 at Emmitsburg. Mm-hmm. Right. He had, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Mike, he had about six divisions there. Um, the first message he had received, he had stayed off of Meade's orders to say, I'm going to leave all six. The next that he had found, um, who was it who arrived at Gettysburg and was immediately shot? Uh, the name escapes me. Reynolds. Reynolds. Reynolds, yeah. The next message he had got that Reynolds was, was dead. dead at that point. <laughs> Relax, boys. He, they couldn't hit an elephant at this rate. Bam. Yeah. yeah. So essentially right the next the message Busted he gets him right is that, in the grape. Yeah, that, that Reynolds is dead. So instead of completely disobeying orders, he left two divisions back in Frederick, if I'm not mistaken, and sent the other four towards Gettysburg so that he wouldn't get in trouble for me to say, hey, they were staying. I thought they were in, they were in Emmitsburg. Uh, I think they were trying to hold Emmitsburg. I I don't know if it was Emmitsburg or Frederick. It was Emmitsburg because this is going to be profoundly boring for everybody else listening. But if they had to hold the Emmitsburg Pike, right, right, that was why they were assigned. So mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so uh, Sickles so, arrives with his corps at the battlefield, and when he arrives, I do believe this is on the second day. This is on the second day, July second, eighteen sixty. This is the morning of July second. He was then positioned at the south end of the battlefield with Meade's intent being for him to fill a hole in the line at the base of Cemetery Ridge where he was ordered to protect Round Top and Little Round Top, which is the very south of the Union line. Which is starting to form a basically a fish hook shape, right? With the yeah, curve of the fish hook jay. moving yeah. around to the north. Right. And then you have the uh, Confederate lines forming that are in an extended line in very much the same shape around it. However, this presents a, uh, a problem for the Confederates because what the Union then has are internal lines of communication and a way to move re- uh, reinforcements right across that fish hook instead of having to work their way around. Without flanking. Mm-hmm. Without being hold, flanked. And they hold more favorable ground. Right. So the big problem is the orders that were given to Sickles were somewhat nebulous and considering meat incompetent, um, the, and the Fifth Corps which they were supposed to meet up with, wasn't in position. And Sickles, being the smartest man in the room, took the ground of his choosing, which was a rise leading to the Emmitsburg Pike, behind and behind it the now unconf- uh, unhidden Confederate main force of Lafayette McClaws. What Sickles hadn't accounted for was that this land was yet another salient. 
this time well over a half a mile ahead of the main body of Union troops and completely exposed. He also didn't know that the Confederate artillery batteries were in place and in striking distance. Yeah, this is going to be a problem in a few hours for him. But also the another problem that it presents is you've when you make that bulge, that salient, you've extended the amount of linear space that your troops have to cover. So his lines now are much thinner, and his reinforcements are much more spread out and cannot be applied in force if there's a penetration of the line. And it was said, it, it, they as they were marching up, there were old guys in the Fifth Corps that said, ah, don't worry, guys, they'll be back. Yeah. Because they knew what was going to happen when they overexposed themselves. Um, what resulted was one of the, some of the worst and cat, most catastrophic fighting in the war itself and probably the history of man up to this point. Yeah. Uh, the area is now known as the Peach Orchard and the Wheat Field. The Union troops were victorious and the, the victory wasn't Pyrrhic, but Sickles would likely have been court-martialed had it not been for the upcoming story. Yeah, to add a little perspective... At about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Longstreet's Corps launches the attack, which Meade knew was coming. Sickles had, Meade organized a meeting of all of his corps commanders, and Sickles refused to go. Sickles refused to go. So Meade rocks up to where Sickles is posted. He rides a horse over. Yeah, rides a horse over and says, what are you doing? And he goes, we need to pull back. And then he stops and he realizes Longstreet's about to attack. So if Sickles' forces are pulling back to the original point of the line, when Longstreet attacks, they're going to completely fall apart. And so in th- about three hours, they take um, 40... The, the Third Corps takes 4,200 men killed, wounded, and captured in three hours, over 40% of their fighting strength. By comparison, Reynolds' First Corps took 6,000 casualties over all three days. Third Corps takes almost as many between 3 and 6 p.m. There were more, there were more casualties at the Peach Orchard and the Wheat Field than there were at Pickett's Charge, mm-hmm. and we all know Pickett's yeah. Charge. And if you go there, it is not a big area. Okay, so fun fact: my father went to Gettysburg on a weekend trip. He's in York, so he went to Gettysburg for a weekend. He sent me one picture from all of Gettysburg. It was a picture of the hill at Pickett's Charge, and it just said, "In hindsight, not a good idea." <laughs> that was my father. Chippy ain't wrong. Chippy ain't wrong. Yeah. I mean, he was right, but like that was his entire takeaway from yeah. his Gettysburg adventure. And the quote you were talking about with Meade, Meade, when Meade arrived on horseback, he went to Sickles, and Sickles responded by saying, "Would you like me to retreat?" And Meade famously said, "Yes, I do." But then he pointed to the rebel artillery positions and followed it with, "But I don't think those people will let you." And about that time, that's when the cannons started thundering. Right. Yeah, it was almost immediately after he yeah. said that line because it almost it, like things almost go really poorly for <laughs> yeah. me because <laughs> me he ba- had to ride yeah. a horse out me, there. Me basically says that goes all right, I'm out, and then just, <laughs> and then so, books it back to his HQ. And speaking of horses, here's what comes next. Uh, I thought it was another Catherine the Great joke. <laughs> no, Catherine the Great does not ride into the, Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg, Chris. Well, she wouldn't have been riding. I do have a great. Never, never, mind, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I, she might have, have been riding bareback. <laughs> I, I have either an excellent or awful idea for an alternative history book. There we go. So while riding to inspect the left of the Corps, Sickles feels a sharp pain and weakness in his right leg. Oh no, shit. <laughs> That's how he described it. He, he claimed it didn't hurt. 
And I mean, that's a lot of braggadocio, but he was no. like, yeah, I reached down, my leg was wet, and whatever. I mean, nerves yeah. don't work very well when they disintegrate. Yeah, whenever they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're stuck to a cannonball. I didn't even realize that it happened. That We call that a fucking lie. Mm-hmm. Also, shock. Uh, the horse, completely unharmed. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Not a scratch on his fucking horse. Yeah, he, he, he looks down, he realizes that cannonball shattered his leg. And you're right, Chris. Didn't touch the horse. Didn't touch the horse. It didn't hurt the saddle. <laughs> Took a and nice the horse, big... The horse stopped. Took a nice big chunk out of it. horse it turns around and like... looks at it. What the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see how close that <laughs> shit was? <laughs> but the, oh. the thing was... Boy, we got lucky... Pe- oh, never mind. <laughs> Dan, we got to beat feet, man. This ain't cool. You know, you know when horses when horses hear loud noises or they're spooked by something, they tend to run off. The horse just stopped. Well, it's a well, trained war, war horse. Are, yeah, war horses are a different breed. They're bred for this. Yeah. So, anyway, he was immediately assisted in a dismount. Stretcher bearers were called, and there are two stories. The first we know to be true, and that's that he was smoking a cigar as he was removed from the field and denied himself anything more than a tourniquet until the more critically wounded were taken care of. That's pretty big dick energy, in my opinion. Correct. Uh, the somewhat apocryphal version, and I only call it apocryphal because I cannot find a solid source on it, was that he was asked to be propped up against a tree to watch the struggle to its conclusion. Now, I don't know if the AIDS would have actually allowed that I don't to think happen, it would have and I'm not sure where I, it, it's. Part of the legend of Gettysburg. It's a great story of bravado, a, and I'm sure Sibbles yeah. would have embraced it to emphasize his own brand. He's probably the one that fucking told it. Yeah, yeah, yes. he probably. Yeah, there's a good possibility he started that story. In either case, his right leg was amputated at the hip, mm-hmm. which for that time was that, that's life or death surgery. That's a there's a good possibility he's not coming off. It the was 60, table. 60 40 in favor of not surviving yeah. the surgery. Right. Well, in a medical journal. Can we take a minute to get into why? I'm going to have a little bit of a little bit of math here, so everybody bear with okay. me. It's not going to be too hard. So, through research, which I will talk about a little bit later, he was hit by a solid shot round from a 10 pound Parrot rifle, P A R R O T T, which fires a 10 pound lump of solid metal at 1,240 feet per second. And this round has a bore of just shy of three inches, 2.95 inches. So if you do the math on that, with the approximate muzzle velocity plus the mass, it's the same force as a mid-sized sedan hitting you going 23 miles an hour, all concentrated onto a contact point the size of a tennis ball. So that explains why that kind of damage necessitated getting rid of the leg. So well, that's math telling getting... you that cannons are really good at killing people. Yeah, <laughs> It wasn't just getting rid of the leg either. It was getting rid of the leg at the hip. At the hip. I mean, they took everything. They mm-hmm. took it all the way up to his pelvic bone. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, you think when, when especially when we get to what we're ta- going to talk about in a second, you think, okay, it smashed through his, through his tib-fib, you know, through, you know, through his shin bones. Mm-hmm. No. This took out his whole leg. Well, and the surgery has to work around the femoral artery, which they're really, really bad at stopping the bleeding of at this time period. They're bad at yeah. stopping bleeding. Pretty period. Much, period at yeah. this point. Yeah, they, yeah. Especially Stiptic on a half-inch garden hose, though. Yeah, yeah. You don't clamp is not it, something that exists. If you don't you know, clamp it right, you are a goner yeah. and You'll fast. Right. They, they're using two belts. One is for your leg, and the other is for you to fucking bite down on. Mm-hmm. Like, belts. So here's more of his prov- bravado. 
The leg is amputated in the field at the hip, which he promptly donates to the U.S. Army School of Medicine with a note that read, with the compliments of Major General D.E.S. <laughs> Each year, on July 2nd, he would visit the leg. In fact, you can too as well at the uh, Medical Museum in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. It's mm-hmm. not at Walter Reed anymore because yeah. the Walter Reed doesn't exist. Go back to older episodes about why <laughs> this, I don't like that is, name. This is a sticking point for you, isn't it? Yeah. It's it, going to be. It's going to be. This, this is the hill that Mike dies yes, on. Yes, this is the one I die on. And, and we're going to hear a lot about Walter Reed because so. the only people who are allowed to run for president are 90 fucking years old. Right. So. Exactly. <laughs> so, Preach. Now, here's the funny side note. The first time he goes to 1864, he goes to the School of Medicine. Goes to see his leg. When he first saw the display, he verbally accosted his handler, demanding to know where his, his foot was. His handler is he a bear? He was in a wheelchair. Well, I mean, it was a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, he was in a wheelchair. Uh, but that's that wasn't their first stop. And this is according. I referenced it last. I forgot. It's actually the Battle of Gettysburg podcast. Uh, Eric and Jim, I I apologize for forgetting the name of your fairly easy to remember name podcast. Um, it, it, that was not their first stop. And as they're going through, he keeps talking about the leg. Like, won't stop talking about, hey, we should go see this leg that they have. It won't stop talking about his own leg. And then he sees it, and he's furious. <laughs> they didn't keep the foot. And he was not happy about it. They only saved, in fact, they only saved the lower leg bones. They didn't even save the, the yeah. femur. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, he's retired from military command. And returned to New York, where he eventually received the Medal of Honor, much to the con- consternation of General George Gordon Meade. Again, going back to what we were talking about with Spoons Butler, this worked out very well in President Lincoln's favor because, mm-hmm. as you said, Kyle, he was the last. He was the last political general. Everybody else that was that had active duty in the field was a West Pointer. Yep, and that took a lot off of Lincoln's plate. So, um, Teresa dies in 1867, likely from consumption. Um, he focuses. She was his only life. 31, too. Yeah, she That's was 31. She was very point. young. He focused his life immediately after the war with Confederate General James Longstreet, who was fighting at the Pe- who he was fighting at the Peach Orchard, trying to ensure that Gettysburg would and did become the first national military park. The cause did prove successful. On a side note, he first met Longstreet after the war by taking a trip to Atlanta to see him. Although they didn't seek it, the press gathered upon, and upon hearing of the meeting, and when he knocked on the door, they greeted each other with handshakes and hugs. When interviewed, Sickles told reporters, The son of a bitch took my leg, but I'll be damned if he's not a good man. They remained good friends until Longstreet's death in 1904, working to ensure the memories of the men lost in the war. These guys went out of the town together, and uh, like they, <laughs> the they story went out, you told me, Mike. About, yes, yeah, they they, yeah. W- they went out drinking together, and they like refused a, to let the other one go, and just kept like shuttling back and it forth was, between it, their it, it, hotel bars. It, it was it was it was at Grant's funeral. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it, it was. They were they were both asked to be ceremonial. Paul Bear, because at this point they're, you know, yeah. they're old, and he's only got one leg. You know, Sickles yeah, has only so got it's, one it's leg. It's a position of ceremony. Yeah. But they were they, they were staying at separate hotels, and 
Longstreet came over to have a nightcap with Sickles. And they had their drink. And Longstreet gets up and says, well, I'm going to have to go home. Sickles says, well, it's dangerous outside. I can't let you walk walk alone. So they walk over to Longstreet's apartment. One, one walks. Where they, where, where, yeah, where the they, wheels. Rolling thunder. Where, where they proceed. The sound of three repeated footsteps. Oh. <laughs> where there was only one footstep in the sand, it's where Sickles carried me. <laughs> this is where they, they proceed to have a drink at Longstreet's room. Sickles gets up and says, I'm going to have to be on my way and head back to mine. Longstreet says, I can't let you do that. It's dangerous out there. Where they proceed to go back down to the street, walk to Sickles' hotel room, where they have another drink. This happened all night. Three and a half days later. Yes. Some say they're still doing it now. On a a night with a full moon and an open bar, you can hear Sickles squeaking down the street. I love that story so much. It's it's, it's just a great story. He just kept doing it over and over again. (laughs) And that was the period they called Reconstruction. (laughs) Now, you might, you might think that this is an epilogue and the last you'll hear of Dan Sickles. God, no. You would be so wrong. Right. President Grant appointed him the United States Minister to Spain in 1869. Things were going well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things were going well. He oh, met no. his second wife, Carmina Cray, and is believed he continued his flandering even after his second marriage. Well, no surprise there. I will let you expound, Rob, on who with. So he he decided to. Um, it was it was a lonely it was a lonely uh, chambermaid. No, I'm fucking kidding. It was the Queen of Spain. Um, <laughs> technically, I not would say it was the kind of, of the Queen. Kind of, of the Queen kind, of Spain. Kind of sort of. Her name was Isabella II, and having seen a photo, she's a um, handsome woman. I'm on it. I've seen. <laughs> I'm on it. So she came to the throne at the Chris age. Chris is of, a being of pure internet. So she came to the throne at the age of three, and and she had like Ooh. a. Oh. She had like a three. <laughs> <laughs> <She had> like, <laughs> wow. That was my reaction. She had like a thirty-five year reign, uh, marked by palace intrigues, conspiracies, attempted regicide, and uh, attempted revolutions for both uh, against both the monarchy and the Spanish Parliament. She was deposed in a coup in September of eighteen sixty-eight while she was on vacation. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Oh, man. They say the hardest. Yeah, when you come back from vacation. They say the hardest part is readjusting to the routine, right? Yeah. So, uh, and Sickles was rumored to have had an affair with... Everything's all fucked up. Somebody else lives in your house. Yeah. Rumored to have an affair. (laughs) (laughs) Rumored to have an affair with the deposed queen. We're just showing the picture. Wow. So he was was rumored to have had an affair. A lot of woman. He was rumored to have an affair with the deposed queen while trying to work with the monarch who had been elected in her place and the government that had deposed her. Um, He was the the, uh, minister to Spain. He spent most of his time in Paris where she was living. Um, And her consort, Francisco, the Duke of Cadiz, uh, didn't seem to mind the affair at all, considering that he was openly gay or as open as one could be in the 1870s. Uh, he always insisted that none of his... And he just Isabella's... had to wait 20 more years, and then it would yeah. have been a gay 90s. Yeah. Well, he always insisted that none of his and Isabella's children were actually his. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know what she I don't know what she saw in the guy. I don't know what he saw in her, but they, she just had that moment where she was like, Oh, Senor Fickles, I find him to be so sexy. 
<laughs> I mean, with his one leg, only being three quarters of a man. <laughs> they were both interesting. I, I, I hope she was I mean, interesting. Yes, she better have been interesting. I don't want to cast aspersions. Well, but let me guess. You have a great yeah. personality. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it looked like that. You better. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, like all this time, he's shagging the deposed queen, trying to maintain a relationship with the current government, while the U.S. and the Spanish are on the verge of war. Because a revolution broke out in 1868 in Cuba, known as the Ten Years' War, an attempt to overthrow Spanish rule. Which, if you, yeah, if you didn't know, it was a Spanish possession at this point. One of and, the last outposts of the Spanish Empire. And oddly enough, the United States minister to Spain had openly supported the Olmsted Manifesto, as we learn in Episode 1. <laughs> well, we'll try to buy Spain. If they won't sell it to us, we'll, we'll just take it. Take it. <laughs> Either way, Spain is getting asked out of an island here. Yeah, free Cuba with 10-gallon Philip. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1870, U.S. Secretary of State Hamilton Fish convinced President Grant to refuse Cuban recognition, maintaining peace, though unstable, with Spain. Obviously, when it comes to maintaining a fragile peace... There's nothing like having a guy like Dan Sickles on the job. <laughs> Public sentiment, however, defied the president. Mr. Sickles, we have an emergency. I think we're going to war with Spain. I'll be out in five minutes. Now, hop, hop, hop. He's uh, coming. Uh. <laughs> comes, a, comes. A, <laughs> there it is. Come, comes out with a deranged look on his face, going. Where are them Cuban bastards? <laughs> my darling, are we going on holiday to Zaragoza? <laughs> That's my Queen of Spain impression. Thank you That's very much. Very nice. Very nice. I like that. Public sentiment, however, defied the president in the first place, and war bonds were being openly sold to fund the Cuban resistance. <laughs> They're like, fuck that. Hey, here, you want to buy these war bonds? Enter John F. Patterson, who purchases a former blockade runner, a, a Confederate blockade runner called the Virgin, and renames it the Virginius, and immediately begins transporting men and military supplies to aid no the Cuban the, Revolution. Is it no longer the Virgin because, like, Sickles was hanging out on it, or correct? It no longer had a hymen. <laughs> Jesus. We're going to cut that. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the Spanish knew about the ship, referred to it as an outlaw vessel, and was hell-bent on capturing it. On October 30th, 1873, that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. Overloaded and with deteriorated boilers, the Spanish ship Tornado overtook Virginius in open water, and Captain Joseph Fry had no choice but to surrender the vessel. Could not run it, could not gun it. The Spanish ordered the crew to be tried as pirates. All sailors, including American and British citizens, were found guilty and sentenced to death. This is out. Of, this is not out of bounds by international military and maritime law, even today. Yeah, what they were doing was completely illegal, and they had the right to be tried as pirates. Over the protestations of the U.S. Vice Consul and a British Commodore, the executions begin. By November 8th, 53 men, including Captain Joseph Fry himself, had been executed by firing squad. Spanish soldiers had decapitated some and stomped their bodies with their horses. Only Royal Naval Officer Sir Lambden 
Lampton Lorraine was that's just a funny name was able to cease the executions by literally threatening to bomb the city of Santiago, Cuba. American public sentiment to be accepted uh, to be expected was a demand for intervention on behalf of the revolution, and the executions were viewed as a national insult to be avenged. Secretary Fish cabled Ambassador Sickles to demand reparations for anyone executed by the Spanish government. In addition, Fish had Sickles demand the return of the Virginias and remaining crew, what was left of them, as well as criminal prosecution for the executioners and reparations to the families of the crew. Sickles met with Minister of State Jose de Carvajal, and that meeting went as exactly as expected. You did better with that name than I thought you were going to, I'll be honest. Um, yeah, I do, I'm to my to my Spanish friends, I am sorry I butchered the name. anyway, so Sickles demands that uh, makes demands on honor and shows uh, and showing signs of a man who had no problem with losing his temper. Yeah. They is the negotiations broke down by all accounts. Sickles was yelling. Carvajal was yelling. It was it was bad. At the time, he was described as uh, overly emotional and inaccurate in his information. Uh, right. A Spanish parliamentary observer noted that both men became quote shrill with rage. <laughs> they were like it, some of the more prophetic were like, oh. "This sounds like the worst presidential debate we're ever going to hear in 2020." I mean, it, it, well. You think about it. We sent a guy as an ambassador with an unstable peace treaty, and this is the guy that got angry with an unstable yeah. peace yeah. treaty. This guy got off on temporary in- insanity for shooting a man in the dick. I mean, I know he went in wanting to make legal history. I just don't think he thought he was going to do it that right. way. <laughs> so clearly, the negotiations broke down. Yeah, and Dan was unequipped. For the political appointment that he'd been given. He finally, I had, I had a friend of mine tell me one time, you are always going to be promoted to a level of incompetence. You will always reach a point where you can't do the job. Yeah, this is one Finally, thing that, he's that, done. Yeah, this yeah, is I what Sickles finally couldn't finally luck his way out well, of. Well, luck is the key there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gettysburg, you know, there's an argument that his blunder actually helped, like, blunt the force of the confederacy correct but it was correct. a fuck up that just didn't blow up in his face correct. just his leg yeah exactly <laughs> well and that's that's the thing too that's what's so interesting about the virginia's affair and almost going to war with spain you're almost going to start another international war less than a decade after a devastating civil war right so is it how is it a an aberration that all of this public drive for war with spain pops up or is it encouraged by the administration in place to help cement reconstruction because nothing drives two former enemies together like a new enemy. That's true, but I, th- I, I That's still think... what Dick think, Tracy said. I still That's think... Dick Cheney United- said. <laughs> I, I still think the United States at that time was tired of war. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to remember, 2% of the population didn't make it back. Poof, yeah. yeah. The entire generations well, and, were wiped out. And for yeah. as many former general assholes getting shit-hammered together at bars, there's a whole lot of broken families that will never be right again. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, so now they think... make up the entire diplomatic corps. Well, and this is where the United States gets lucky, because uh, fortunately for the time, even with the shrill negotiations that broke down, the, pre- uh, the Spanish president, Emilio Castellar, 
no more wanted war than President Grant, and it was decided that the matter would be settled through the State Department heads in Washington, D.C., as opposed to um, Carvial and... Sickles. And to your point, I mean, Grant had seen a lot of war. I mean, he, he yeah, knew the Yeah, if anybody's going itself. to be tired of it, Grant is probably that man. Yeah, yeah, number he, one at the top of the he list. He had probably some of the the best perspective on it, and it, it was probably pretty fortunate that he was the chief executive at that time. Exactly. So it was decided that the final dispensation of the Virginius would was for it to be returned under the United States ensign along with its remaining crew. Dan Sickles, however, had clearly lost the confidence of the president and Secretary Fish and tendered his re- resignation on 20 December 1873, and it was accepted. Returning home, he was made chairman of the New York Monuments Commission and ran it for 26 years. The final books of the commission showed $27,000 missing. And as usual, no action was taken, though efforts to prosecute the now elderly sickles by the way that is a lot that is 40 that is 450 grand in today's money exactly and they they had they they were like okay we're gonna go arrest him nah nah screw it again freaking bulletproof man so legally legally speaking (laughs) so in the course of all this he's gone totally off the rails becomes a complete curmudgeon estranges estranges himself from his wife and his children to both marriages, and bankrupt, Ed, uh, Dan Edgar Sickles dies at his home on May 3rd, 1914, in New York City. He is now buried in Arlington National Cemetery without his precious leg. Which is still... It's still on display. It's still on display at the U.S. Army point, Medical though. Museum. Interesting point, though. The cannonball on display with it, or they say this is the kind of cannonball that took off Dan Sickles' leg. Wrong it isn't. Gun. It's the wrong kind of caliber. Wrong caliber, wrong gun. This this is the guy that was in charge of the monuments, who was taking people around Gettysburg Battlefield, showing them the other monuments. <laughs> there is not a Dan Sickles monument. But people would ask no. him, like, where's yours? And he would just gesture broadly across and say this is my monument. Yeah. Gettysburg <laughs> was his ego trip. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, he, but he, Gary, uh, Gettysburg was his legacy, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He considered uh, but, himself to be the primary Union hero yes. of the battle. Yes, he did. And to be fair, though, if it wasn't for him and Longstreet, we may not have a Gettysburg, a National, Gettysburg Mil- National Military Park in the sense that we know it now. Yeah. Which that, is that one is of the most in, in, incredible places if you... If you ever have an opportunity to visit a historical place, yeah. that is the place. Um, so, eventually, an, an interesting um, coda on this is eventually one of his uh, neighbors in New York was none other than uh, Mr. Samuel Langhorne Clemens, Mark Twain himself, right. who uh, once, once said of Sickles, quote, I've been told that Wagner's music is better than it sounds. That fits the general's manner of speech exactly. <laughs> his talk is much better than it is. His talk does not sound entertaining, but is distinctly entertaining. And uh, he also said that, quote, the general valued his lost leg away, quite a ways above the one that is left. I'm perfectly sure that if he had to part with either of them, he would part with the one that he's got. That is funny. This was a man completely obsessed with his legacy. Yeah. Right. Completely. 
Well, that, that well, what else me, did he have? We, yeah. Well, that yeah, leads what, me. What else did he have? That leads me to a uh, to a question for you guys that I wanted to wrap this up on. If you guys had to lose a body part, but still maintain a relationship with it, what body part would you lose? And why? And don't don't be gross. Don't be like, oh, I lose my dick, so I can finally oblige all the people who told me to fuck myself. You know, no, don't do that. <laughs> can I can I have another minute to take my answer? I was just gonna go. I was just gonna go with the Woody Allen. Don't take my brain. That's my second most favorite organ. <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 start. So if I had to, I would lose a I'd lose a leg from the knee down. I'd have it taken off because leg prosthetics are fucking great nowadays. Relatively speaking, they're they're really high tech. You can live a pretty normal life without it. And I would, uh, I would take the whole leg, not just the bone, and I would have a mold made of it. I wouldn't keep the leg itself. And maybe this is a slight cheat, but I would have a mold made of it that you can then take to, like, a, a pewter smith or a bronze caster or even a gla- or glass Just down to local neighborhood like pewter smith. And I would turn it into a great big beer glass. You know how they have Das Boot? Fuck you. I'm drinking beer out of Das Foot. Nice. You've had a lot of time to think about this, haven't you? <laughs> uh, multiple friends of mine are, are amputees, so I will respectfully not I'll decline yeah, to answer. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Bill does periodically just take his leg off and hand it to people. I've, yeah, I've seen... I've, <laughs> that would be like the coolest thing in the I world, know of, as, as, I know a few people who are lower leg amputees who I've watched chug beer out yeah, of their as, prosthetic. As he says it, like, if you don't have a sense of humor about this, then you're, you're in deep shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd made a 9-11 joke on the last episode. I, I, I'm going to respectfully bow out. Oh, great. So you guys let me tell my story. <laughs> you all bleed the fucking fifth. Great. Well, I was um, going to say the dick thing. I, I mean, short of, you know, you know, I'd lose my... Uh, my my little toe, and then it'd just have a tattoo that said "Gone to Market, Love Pig." You know. <laughs> okay. No, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. Well, would you be like that bar in Canada and salt the toe and make people put it in the bottom of a shot glass? Yep. You know what? Why not? Why I mean, not? Fuck it. We're already going all exactly. Way on it. So, uh, yeah. And that, well, that's the thing too. Is he was. He was awarded the Medal of Honor in 1897. 34 years after the conflict. 34 years. Yeah, 34 years. 34 years. He spent three decades fighting to get this honor himself. He had to lobby the shit out of it because he was like, well, if it wasn't for me getting wounded and smoking a cigar in front of the troops, they wouldn't have held as long as they did. Because everyone who was there said this fucking asshole got 4,000 people killed. I mean, yeah. I mean, so, but eventually, uh, I mean, the dude had... Had still had some charm locked away. I know he became very curmudgeonly in his old age, but he definitely still had some of those old old DC skills. He definitely had that skill set intact. And and of course now, but also like since those days, the meaning of the Medal of Honor has kind of changed. Um, things kind of changed with the Medal of Honor about the time that started going to guys like Dan Daly and during the during the Banana Wars and all that. And then uh, during the First World War, it really became for like extraordinary acts of, of valor. Yeah, now you you basically never see them awarded to uh, when they're not posthumous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it has to be something really remarkable. Yeah, yeah. They, there were a, there were many many thousands of them given out during it, it, the Civil War. But then this, again, there wasn't so much of a graded yeah. system it, it, of military awards that like we have today. Well, it was a new award. Yeah, mm. and it, it was given out almost like the Purple Heart. Yeah. Yeah, and you didn't have things like it's so much like the DSC, the, Purple Heart. Yeah, DSC yeah. the Silver Star, the Bronze Star, all that. But so, yeah, that's uh, that's the story of Dan Sickles. Been to his grave, by the series. way. Me too. Yep. Yeah. Um, been to the Excelsior Monument, too, in, uh, at Gettysburg as well, um, which was supposed to have a, uh, a bust of Sickles on it, and then they 
uh, after the embezzlement yeah, scandal, they changed it to uh, an eagle. Yeah, well, it's because that's all they could afford. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The bust would have cost about twenty seven thousand dollars. But yeah, we'll call it even. Big, big. <laughs> they got in a bunch of eagles laying around. Yeah, big, uh, big funeral parade, full cortege, all of that. I mean, he, Saint Saint Patrick's Cathedral. Yeah, yeah, which is, well, I mean, the guy was a New York institution, and he still had an ongoing relationship with Tammany Hall as well, which was still going strong in the late eighteen hundreds. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so that's the story of Dan Sickles, Mister James Ernett. Thank you for joining us for this series, man. It's been awesome. It's been incredible, and I'd love to come back for many more. So, yeah, what are, what are your parting us. thoughts? You you carried the bulk yeah. of the water in in episode one, and we really didn't uh, we didn't talk too much. How do you feel about Dan Sickles, the man? Dan Sickles, my, the man. Af- after I, all this, Mike, if, if you're looking changed. for somebody who is virtuous, you're definitely running out of luck. I mean, that's it's just not going to happen. Um, when you think about the fact of how it seems like he was so cavalier and just, you know, like I said, you know, guy got away with murder. I mean, you, you think Literally. reading about him early on, like this is going to catch up with him. This is going to catch up with him. This is going to catch up with him. Untouchable, man. Completely untouchable. Uh, almost like it's it, to, to jail him. You'd have to get him on tax evasion like Al Capone. It is yeah. just it's amazing. And then to live out the rest of his days, I mean, honestly. They couldn't even get him on tax evasion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they couldn't do it. mail fraud. <laughs> yeah. You know, all, all of what he had done, um, you know, just at first knowing a little bit about the Battle of Gettysburg and what he had done, it's like, oh, this guy's a complete and total jackass. He, You know, he, he you know, it's like, it's like Kyle said, you know, it didn't blow up in his face. But, uh, you know, the situation being what it is, of all the things that could have, you know, he, he he just untouchable, completely untouchable. And I, I'm interested to have known a lot more about about him and have delved as deep as we could, you know. Um, so final thoughts on him? Just, I, I think he he made his dad proud, <laughs> to say the least. You know, <laughs> I have just, secured my legacy. I've secured my legacy. Um, his mother, of course, definitely estranged again, being as I said in the previous episode, the cerebral assassin of uh, Trinity Church in New York. Um, the mind of the church, definitely. You know, Mama was not proud. I think but uh, Harridan applies. Yeah, to exactly. <laughs> How could I have birthed this? But he got alls the women's. Yeah, he got he got alls the women's. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. Wow, just... <laughs> you want to be slightly he, baffled by his rate of sexual success? Go look at a photo of the dude. Yeah, really. <laughs> Sickles was more sympathetic than I anticipated. I thought he would just be utterly detestable, but some of the shit he did was so fucking extraordinary. I mean, the guy yeah, built Central Park, if you read more about right, him. Yeah. I, it just it, There was so much that they wanted to make that section a park itself, yeah. but there were too many... There was t- so much red tape. He's like, I'll go in there... And he got it done by days and before the state legislature yeah. closed for the year. But again, to, like with minutes to spare. But again, like everything with Sickles, double-edged sword because most of the real estate was yeah, this. Exactly, there was black people, owned. Yeah, people yeah. lived there. <laughs> well, and like, not only that, but he owned most of the realty around it. Sickles did a really good job. <laughs> like Sickles' legacy is a it's a study in yeah, but yeah, yeah. Like everything exactly. he did was like. Oh, Precisely. Sickles was one of the heroes of Gettysburg. Yeah, but he was in the wrong place. Yeah, everything that Andrew Jackson would have loved to have heard, you know, was Dan Sickles. Right, yeah. <laughs> but again, also fu- fundamental in the establishment of Gettysburg National Military Park, fundamental in like his relationship with James Longstreet and being almost this symbol of reconciliation and reconstruction. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah, very, very... Which is an honorable thing. Gettysburg was an ego trip for... Like, it's such a weird, like... Yeah, okay, so the Gettysburg Park was his doing, but also, like, he only wanted it to be a thing because he was there. It is an entire color palette of Shades of Grey with this dude. Yeah. It really is. Absolutely. But, yeah, definitely an interesting story. I know I read it, and a whole bunch of times when I was reading all these sources, I was just like, huh, okay. Yeah, we we definitely... wow. We could have done way more than two episodes on this dude. I'm... uh, yeah, we Glad could have done we about eight to hours. Condense it into into one. This is this is the Dan Sickles' greatest hits podcast. Uh, there's a ton of information out there. It is Reed Keneally. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Keneally is also known for another little tome he did called Schindler's Ark. Yeah, it was a little art house picture. Yeah, yeah it was big in the nineties. Yeah, <laughs> black and white thing. Yeah, black and white. You know, very art, very avant garde. Yeah, but it's it's um. Yeah, it's a hell of a story. Uh, before we wrap things up, uh, a couple special thanks to go out. First, uh, again, big thanks to uh, my buddy Big uh, Joe Socha, friend of the pod. Big Joe, thank you so much for helping me parse all the legalese regarding the information around the Sickles case and his legal appointment. Uh, legal appointments, excuse me. Um, also, a big thanks to uh, Jim Naughton, Colonel, U.S. Army, retired, for uh, putting me in contact with the right people to help me find out more about the cannon that took Dan Sickles' leg. Which leads me to my next people to thank the curators and research staff at the U.S. Army Field Artillery Museum at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. They are still closed to the public due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but I was still able to get in touch with some of their staff who sent me some very, very interesting information Fantastic. about the cannon that took off. Thanks for doing some light. of that legwork, man. I'm happy to do it. Absolutely. And a big thanks to Rob as well. You know, he, he really helped guide us, Mike and I both, to, to put out this podcast. I feel we've done... An excellent job. And I'm, I'm not breaking my arm, patting myself on the back here, but I think a lot of help from Rob was You're breaking def- your leg. <laughs> the only one I got left. Yeah, I, I, I want to. I, I appreciate you know everybody putting the hours in on this because I know that like the the brothers Arnett are very big uh, Civil War buffs, and I, I'm not a Civil War guy. I haven't reached that part of my midlife crisis. I haven't. I shaved my head, so I got that. I haven't bought a Corvette yet or gotten into the Civil War. So I also read books episode. about submarines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, anywho, <laughs> but, uh, no, but like seriously, uh, um, it's a really fascinating thing. Uh, Mike put me onto a lot of stuff. Uh, big thanks to uh, our National Park Service. Absolutely, because yeah. all of the yes. information that we gave you is available there. Uh, probably a little bit better, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, we they're don't doing an incredible job. Yeah, but you know what? Yeah. They're not drinking as many beers in my kitchen. Whenever they're they're cranking out content in the peach orchards yet, Man. right? But I, and, and to further tip my hat to the National Park Service, when I went down to Historic Tredegar in Richmond, Virginia, the way that they kept even my eight year old occupied in Historic Tredegar has just been amazing. If you have the opportunity to hit a National Park Service where, you know, they, they'll take you around and have, you know, a visitor center. They do incredible work. And that's where I, we come full circle because the cannon that uh, took off Sickle's leg probably made a Tredegar Ironworks. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so all that stuff is really approachable. Um, it's it, They do a great job of presenting this information without being pedantic. I hope we have done the same for you today. Yeah. But we, also, got, more, we got more dick jokes. We ha- yeah. I, 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 Way I, more. Fact, we have and, more. And, and again, big shout out to also to the uh, the people putting out these wonderful filmed lectures at uh, especially the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library in Illinois yes. and uh, the U.S. Army Heritage and Education Center at uh, in, uh, Carlisle. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you want to get in touch with us on social media or uh, find us out there, Send us some words. Send us some thoughts. Send if us some good vibes. If you have any any uh, redactions 
any comments, questions, concerns, uh, erotic fan fiction, you can email us at trrpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcastTRR. Follow us on Instagram at trrpod. Search us by name on Facebook and YouTube. And at the risk of sounding like PBS, we couldn't do this without listeners like you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I'm serious. And, and to what uh, to what you guys were saying regarding my the assistance I rendered to you guys, I'm happy to help you out because it 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 helps get these stories out to everybody listening. That's what it's all about. Speaking of stories, I just wanted to let uh, my cult members know we're still in pandemic protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let you know more about the tripods <laughs> as things start to open up, hopefully at the beginning of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to support the uh, the growing, burgeoning Bob Crane sex cult or the podcast, you can, uh, and if you think what we do is worthy of uh, a couple bucks, you can support us financially on www.patreon.com slash trrpod. Every cent that goes in goes right back into the podcast, right back into the research materials, the sound equipment, the building of the studio, all of it. And yeah, for everyone who donates. It's a dollar a month. Yeah, like it's, you, you lose that. <laughs> and for all of our Patreon members, we cannot thank you enough. Uh, your, your, your help has been absolutely fundamental in helping to build the podcast. Yeah, thank you again for your continued support, everybody, uh, listeners, Patreon, everybody. And for sticking through uh, like two hours and change of information. Yeah. yeah. And again, thanks to Jim Burnett for coming and joining us for a two-part series. It's been awesome, man. Thank you so much for what you brought. Thanks for having us. I appreciate it. And thanks for the cigars, Jim. Appreciate yeah. it, buddy. Anytime. And uh, next time, we are going to be uh, going back to our roots to uh, explorers, pirates, things of a more nautical nature, things of a more of things of an older nautical nature. Age of sail. We're talking about a gentleman named Henry Hudson. He was damn near a pirate. He might not have been called one, but he's pretty in, in essence. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, yeah he, it was government <laughs> cheese. Spoil, spoiler <laughs> alert! Cheese. Spoiler alert! They give him a ship. Tell him sail east. He immediately gets into it and sails northwest. <laughs> I like his style already. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening this uh, uh, for, to this series. We'll catch you next time. Be safe out there. Be smart. Wear a mask. Social distance. And uh, stay safe. Wash your hands. Stay safe. Don't uh, don't, don't just go banging your way through New York and D.C. Well, and be smart about it. Well, yeah. Uh, it's, it's <laughs> yeah they make those face shields. I fit right on a hat. It's fine. The, the six feet is a problem, then. Yeah. Speak for yourself. <laughs> and on, they make gas masks for a reason. And on, and on that note, um, you know what you need to do. Much like Chris apparently needs two full hands to do. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh, that's a horrible oh. image. Hold fast, everybody. I'm going to go scrub out my fucking eyeballs with steel wool. Bye. You're welcome. <laughs>